Good morning. Good morning here in the room. Good morning online. I got to tell you, I'm so excited for this message this morning. Uh, I know the last couple of weeks we've been sort of at a pace where we're, we're pulling back and we're reflecting. And as we go into the value and focus this week of modeling Jesus in life-on-life relationships, uh, what, the, what God's laid on my heart this morning is, you know, first and foremost, you know, I, I, I got notes, but I'm telling you, God, God has hit me hard this morning, and he's hit me hard the last couple of days about this message, and I can't wait to see where, where he goes, because, I, I, you know, again, I've got a plan, but we'll see where he goes. But I know as we go into this text, it is gonna, it's going to really impact us for when we look at this value of modeling Jesus' life on life. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, and I think about, man, how do I look like Jesus? That's pressure. That's pressure. And you try to model Jesus life on life, that means daily, that means with my family, that means with my kids, that means in those moments when I'm upset, how do I model Jesus? That's pressure. And there's a piece of this that I think God wants to, God wants to take the, the pressure release valve and let's take a little bit of that pressure off in the way that we normally put pressure on. And he wants to add pressure in the way that will empower us to be more like Jesus. So you'll see that as we go. But would you mind just praying with me this morning? Because like I'm, I'm so like on an adrenaline rush right now. Like I want to make sure that I'm out of the way and whatever God is going to say today, uh, it's clearly him and I don't like jump back into me. So let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful for where you've been taking us here in this series. We're grateful that you've called us to this season, this 43 days to say, what does it mean to follow you? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple who can help others become a disciple and do that in a way that they can empower somebody else to be a disciple? God, you've called us to this season to come to the most important mission that you've ever given to those of us here on earth. It's the, it is the mission. It is the great co-mission that we join you in, in all things. Forgive us, God, when we've allowed that to be something else. We've had other missions. This morning, Lord, help us to lay ourselves aside and hear you. Holy Spirit, come and empower. Say what you want to say through the word, through your presence. Help us to encounter you this morning. So we leave not with a close of a message and a close of some information that we got, but we've been transformed in this moment, even if it's just a nudge, even if it's just a a little tweak. And we walk in step with you more and more. Thank you, Lord. We give you permission this morning. We welcome you, and we're grateful that you're willing to be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to get right, right to it. The the modeling Jesus life on life in relationship, that's the value. You've already come through the last couple of weeks and looking at what does it mean to hear the voice of God? What does it mean to adjust when we hear something of the voice of God or we, we encounter God through his word or by his spirit? How do we adjust to be able to live in that? And now it's going to turn a little bit. So remember, uh, I I said this a few weeks ago that we, we always turn if we're talking about being a disciple, we turn the mirror to ourselves Say, am I a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? What did Jesus teach his disciples? And then we turn the mirror the other way and we say, what does it mean to walk as a disciple and help others know what it is to be a disciple and how to walk with Jesus as a disciple? That's always what we're in throughout this journey. 
And so we've, we've taken the time to say, okay, the, the mirror's towards me. How do I hear the voice of God? How do I help others hear the voice of God? How do I adjust when, when God says something or leads me to something? And then how do I help others adjust? And we've talked about principles in that. You know, it's not just reading more, praying more, and showing up to church. And it's, that it's consciously being aware and fixing our eyes on Him and saying, how is God's goodness being displayed? How is, how is His love being displayed and experienced by those of us together? And, and how, where is He leading me? So our eyes are always on Him when we're thinking about this growth and this journey. So now it turns the mirror towards us. How do I model Jesus? And then how do I help others? model Jesus. And to do that, we're going to look at, uh, to understand a little bit about that, we're going to look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, I mean, understand the Corinthians, this is a Roman city. This is not a Jewish city. It's a Roman city. They don't know anything about God. They're still believing in this, this whole like arena and mythology of multiple gods and how they all like had crazy things and wars and affairs and stuff to make things happen in the world. That's where they are. That's their mythology. And they come and they encounter this thing. This, this, they're, they're hearing about this God they've never heard of before. And Paul, as they, as they come to Christ, he sends a letter to encourage the, the new believers there. And what he writes to them in 1 Corinthians 2, so this is the first letter he wrote to them. This is the second chapter of that letter. We break it into chapters. I mean, imagine it's probably like page, it's probably like, second half of the first page, whatever he wrote. But we put it as a chapter. They didn't have it as a chapter. But he writes this letter, and he's trying to help them understand, coming out of all this mythology, coming out of all this stuff that they've believed, what does this Jesus do? How do we, how do we even understand how to live this way? So we're going we're gonna to jump right into it. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. He says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony or the story about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul, when he goes into Rome, I mean, just, just put this in your, we, we said, you know, you need to see and hear and look at what you're hearing. See this, see Paul as he's going into Corinth and he's interacting with these people. And even as he writes this letter, he's pointing out to them, did you see how I came to you? I didn't come to you as this great scholar and dressed up and with his wife, you know, I didn't wear my toga and try to look all Roman and, and official. I came to you weak and trembling. I came to you with, a, with a, an awareness that I'm just a person. And if the true change was going to happen, if something was going to shift within your city, it was going to happen because of the power of God and the Spirit of God working in and through me. And so in order to get there, what does he say? He said, I resolved, I resolved, means I decided beyond the shadow of a doubt, I resolved that I would know nothing except Christ crucified. Stare at that picture for just a second. If you resolved to walk into any situation and all you wanted to know was Christ crucified in that situation, 
Let me, let me flip it a little bit so you understand the connection. Paul wanted to put himself in that place. He wanted himself to be crucified with Christ so that he wasn't in the way. So now think about that for yourself. When you walk into a situation, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ in that situation? means we need to lay down expectations. We need to lay, lay down our expected outcomes of what's going to happen there. We need to lay down all the things we think we can do and how we think we can move people. Let ourselves be crucified. Because if we're in the way, people see us. That's not the goal. It wasn't Paul's goal. Paul wasn't going to say, hey, look at how great an apostle I am. Paul was going like, I just, need, I just want you to know Jesus. It doesn't, doesn't matter what I think your outcome should be. It doesn't matter how I might try to win the argument. He didn't come to have an argument, which, you know, by the way, the Romans love that. They love to debate. They love to have all these high-minded debates and these scholarly things. Paul's like, no, I can do that, but that's not why I've come. I want you to have an encounter with God. And when he uses that, that word at the end of that, in, in verse 5 there, when he says, I wanted a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I came not to be persuasive, but for you to encounter God's Spirit and have a demonstration of His power. That word power in Greek is dunamis. It's the word we get our word dynamite from. So what Paul is saying is, I wasn't coming to have an argument and just walk away feeling like, yeah, yeah, I won, and see, you don't know anything. He was saying, I came not to try and win an argument, but to have such an explosive encounter with God's power that it changed the very nature of the reality that you see. That you could literally stand there and watch God move and go, every single myth I've ever believed, every other God I thought there was, they just fell. Imagine how radical that is for an entire culture that built itself around these gods. The entire calendar and cycle of what they did was built around these gods and these myths. Paul's like, man, I just I want to walk in and there's there's like dynamite. It just it blows that reality up and you go, you know, in our in our modern day we say, mind blown. But it wasn't Paul winning that argument. It was the power of God and coming face to face and going, man everything I thought I knew. And if you look through Scripture, if you actually read and you pay attention to people who've encountered God in Scripture, almost every single time, they think they know who He is, and when they encounter Him, they go, you're greater than I ever imagined. More powerful, more wonderful than I've ever imagined. Paul knew that, and Paul knew just walking in wasn't going to do it. That dynamic power comes only from God's Spirit, and it confirms the wisdom of God over and against the experiential wisdom we have in the world. There's a greater power, there's a greater understanding than what we see and what we learn as we grow up. We know this in the natural to some extent. We can actually see this in the natural, because how many of you who are older and you have a few grays, right, and you look at those who are younger, and those who are younger look at you and say, you don't know what it's like to walk where I walk and live where I live. And you're sitting there going, 
okay, I may not know exactly what it looks like in your shoes, but the choices you're making, the things you're believing, the stuff you're connecting, it all sounds really familiar. We would say, been there, done that. And we know that on a natural level. We know that certain, at certain point, there's a life experience where we look and we see somebody else, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you don't know what it's like to be me. And we're going, yeah, we actually do have a clue about that. But even that's not enough. That's not enough. That doesn't change somebody's trajectory. There is the wisdom beyond that. There is a wisdom that God only understands, and he's the one who's able to go, yeah, yeah, I got a clue just a little. And he's not coming at us going, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. That's not his heart. Although as parents, we may sometimes feel that way. It's not his heart. So I brought you into this world. And I, I, know, I know the very nature and the fabric of how all these things work. But the problem is if we are tuned only into our truth, we're tuned only into speaking our truth and our personal truth. We miss Jesus completely. Because our eyes are fixed on systems and experiences that are locked in time with this world, and we do not catch a glimpse of those things that are a greater reality than what we can understand. But that encounter with God, when we have an encounter with God, it's that peak, it's that glimpse, it's that push, it's that nudge that says, now there's more to this story than what I've been thinking. See, there's a, there's a challenge that we have in the world, and I'll say this first. Jesus is fully seen through God's word and by the power of his spirit. Jesus is fully seen through God's word and the power of his Holy Spirit. I think I've already made that point, but I'll just you know call it out for those of you who are taking notes. But here's the thing. We operate here in this world by manipulation, persuasion. We try to move things around. We think adaptability is what has caused all of the major changes that we think have happened. I mean, just, just put yourself in the world's perspective. If you don't believe that there's a God outside of time and outside of all of this material reality, if you don't believe that there is a God who sees all of that, who actually created and put all this in motion, and you're only looking at the stuff here, then the best you can come up with when you see stuff that doesn't make sense and it doesn't square up with what you know is that some sort of extreme adaptability, that some sort of extreme adapt, because we know we're all adaptable, we know we can shift and change with the environment, but some sort of extreme adaptability must have happened. That, my friends, is what is called evolution in our world. That's the best our world can do to try and explain something that is a radical shift away from what seems to be the natural progression of things. And yet they can't prove it. All they can do is prove radical adaptability, never transformation. They can't explain transformation. That is what we have in the church. That is what we have through Christ and the power of the Spirit is a transformation. I was and now I am. That is the only cross-species evolution you will ever see. I was once dead in my sin. 
and now I am alive. The world cannot explain that transformation, but Jesus demonstrates it. And when we walk with him, he demonstrates it. His word demonstrates it. The power of his spirit demonstrates it. And so the world looks and goes, man, what was that? What was that? I don't understand. So we go a little bit deeper. If we're going to model this, look at what Paul says in verse 6. He says, we speak with wisdom, however, among those who are full grown, yet a wisdom not of this world, nor of rulers of this world who are coming to nothing. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, and I'll unpack that in a second, the wisdom that has been hidden, which God foreordained before the worlds for our glory which none of the rulers of this world have known. For if they had known it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, things which an eye didn't see and an ear didn't hear, which didn't enter into the hearts of people, these God has prepared for those who loved him. But to us, God revealed them through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among... Men, who among people knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except God's spirit. And Paul uses a lot of words there to break this out. Remember who he's writing to. The Corinthians, they love, the Romans, they love these philosophical arguments. He really had to, to tie it tightly. And so there's a piece of that coming through in the letter as he's over-explaining in our perspective. He's over-explaining. But every single word that he uses is valuable. Every single word is giving that clarity to the picture. And what he's saying there is, is there's the things of God, we cannot naturally discern them. We cannot perceive them through the world. But God has made a way that by his Spirit, he'll reveal them. How do I know that? Because when Paul uses the word, we speak in a mystery. We speak in a mystery. In our culture, we think, oh, it speaks in a mystery. It means he's trying to make it mysterious. That's not what it meant when he used it in that context. In that context and in that world, when he says, we speak in a mystery, for him, uh, so let me do it this way. Um, have you ever watched a, a crime drama? Have you ever watched like a, a, a or played the game Clue or, you know, something where there's been a murder, there's been some sort of a crime, and you're, you're trying desperately to figure out who did it. You know, was it Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick? You know, you're, you're working through wh what happened. And when all of, the, all of the evidence comes together and all those pieces come together, you go, oh, it was, and you name it because you're like, and there's this aha moment like, wow, yes, we solved the crime. I don't know about you, I, I kind of like, crime drama, dramas, but, but you can tell. But so there's that moment where it's just all the pieces come together and they fit and you go, oh, that's what it was. That's the way that Paul is using the word mystery. We speak in a mystery as if we're taking all of the evidences and we're laying them out. And when you look at all of it together, you go, oh, that's what it is. He says, God has given us this, this wisdom by his spirit so that we can speak among the mature and we can lay it out there in front of people and the mature go, oh, that's what it is. Like now, and where that connects to us is if you remember back to when you were a new believer. For some of you, that may not be very long. For some of you, that may be a very long time. When you were a new believer, there were things that you sort of grasped. You sort of think you knew, knew you thought you knew about Jesus, but then 
as you, you walked along a little bit further, it would either be something you read in Scripture or something somebody said, and all of a sudden it would just, it would click, and you go, oh my word, I never saw that there before. That's what Paul's talking about, that as we mature, as we become more mature in Christ in this relationship with Him, we actually have more and more of those moments, these aha moments. It's like revealing a mystery. Another way to say it would be revelation. God continues to reveal himself to us as we begin to draw closer to him. He says, people didn't conceive this. I still remember, I still remember the season of my life where I thought a bunch of people conspired in history to write the Bible. And that somehow they just wrote this grand novel and it all kind of sort of worked. And a lot of what Christians were doing was, was trying to make these things fit. And so when you hit places that didn't seem to line up, it was like, oh, well, you know, okay. So now what you're telling me, okay, you're just trying to make it make sense because, oops, you know, this author didn't talk to that author before they wrote their part. But as I grew in my relationship with God and I grew in my understanding of things that I had not experienced, a, a world and a history that existed before me, I began to go, oh my, oh my goodness, Really? You mean that's true? And then I would understand it at a level, it's like, oh, like not only is it true, like it rocks my world in a way that like the, the world was different than what I thought it was. Humans may not have been just stupid beings walking around on the earth. Like they built pyramids. They might've had sound technology. Like who knows? We don't know what they had. Technology-wise. And before the flood, who knows? So many things got wiped out. But my assumption was we moved from ignorance to intelligence, that somehow in this generation, we were the most intelligent that's ever existed. All you have to do from now is look back 50 years. Go back 50 years and look at some of the writings of authors. I mean, I know people now who are like, man, I can't read C.S. Lewis and I can't read Tolkien because it just hurts my brain. You know, and the only way they can absorb Tolkien is to have Amazon Prime do a rewrite of the entire series and anthology, mix up the timelines, get the character connections all wrong, and somehow, like, it's like it literally is like chewing it up, regurgitating it, and vomiting it back out without the, con the continuity and the substance. And people are like, oh, that's so cool. And you're going, really? Read the book. But that's where we get. We get to the point where we think our generation is the smartest generation because extreme adaptability convinces of that, us of that. It's not true. There is a wisdom. There is a knowledge. There is a reality beyond what we typically see, and His Spirit reveals that. And as we mature we, we, in our relationship with Christ, it becomes more and more clear. And Paul puts that fine point on it and says, it's only by the Spirit, because it's only the Spirit of God who knows the deep things of God. We can't discern these things naturally. We can't see them naturally. It's only the Spirit of God who knows the deep things of God. But here's the great thing. Jesus said when he went away, he's like, I'm sending my Spirit as your counselor who will lead you into, anybody remember the verse? Lead you into all truth. 
So it's God's spirit. He's God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's spirit, but with us in relationship in a way where we are being drawn to and shown and revealed constantly all truth. Man, that ought to blow our minds. That should just rock our world to go like, all truth, all truth. Some things I don't want to know. But through the Spirit, all things are known. Some things I don't want to be known. But in the Spirit, all things are known. Is it any wonder then why Paul approaches this conversation? He approaches this letter saying, man, I just want to, I want, I want to join Christ crucified. Like, I want me out of the way. This is a whole lot of me you don't need to know. And I'm trusting that God is transforming. But if you know Jesus, all truth, all truth, you'd be able to look at your situation and your circumstance and see how God would approach it versus how you would approach it. You'll be able to see what God is already doing versus what you want to try and have happen. So as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to make the things of God visible. We have an opportunity and a responsibility to make the things of God visible. Why? Because it's some great mission that we have to figure out on our own? No, because by nature of being in relationship with God and having received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit makes all truth known. And everything that He desires to do through us is to make Jesus known, to make God visible, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who they are, how they operate, how they relate to one another, how that relates to us, all of that to be known. (laughs) But we can't see it when we're locked into the rhythms and the cadence and the timing of this world. Then he brings us to what I think is, is a super critical point. Look at the following verses, verse 12. He said, We receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Now the natural man does not receive the things of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he can't know them, but they're spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things. And he himself, they themselves are are to be judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Messiah, the mind of Christ. I'm going to back up and deal with that last verse first. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him or that those who are spiritual discern all things and are subject to no one's judgment? He's not saying we're not accountable. What he's trying to point out is if we're truly in step with Jesus, we're already held accountable. 
That if we're truly in step with Jesus, we're already held accountable. Because we cannot be in step with Jesus and modeling Jesus and still participating in our sin. It's almost like Paul is saying, this should be a given. That if we're truly adjusting to the Word of God, if we're truly adjusting our life to God, we're not, we're not going to be subject to any man's judgment. No, nobody's going to want to judge you. Because they can already see, like, man, you've been changed. You've, you've shifted. Because your life is now in step with Jesus. You've already been held accountable by the Spirit, by the one who can do it the best way and say, without any shame. Guilt, yes, because sometimes we need that, that realization of, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's guilt. But shame takes it to a different place. God amazingly is able to go, okay, I saw that. Was that what you, you know, is that, is that the best? Is that really what I wanted? And we go, oh, man, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Dad. I messed that up. He's like, all right. Let's get back in step. Here we go. So he's not saying Christians, people who follow Jesus, aren't judged. He's just saying, if we're truly in step with him, we're already held accountable. So I want to resolve that before we go back to where he was. He says what kind of what I already said in the sense that we, we receive not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. That's that revealing. That's that unpacking of the mystery. That's that aha moment. But he says something really, really compelling in the middle of this. He says, we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. We have a hard time with, with translating that in a way that we understand because in our culture, to synchronize something, you know, we think, uh, especially in theological circles, we think syncretism, you know, all religions are equal, all truth is equal, all those types of things. Like, we, we think of syncretism, and that's not what he's saying. But he uses the word for syncretize. It's the Greek word synchronotes, synchronantes. You don't care about how I pronounce it anyway. But synchronantes. And the Greek word synchronantes is where we get synchronize. So what he's saying is when we walk in the Spirit, when we are modeling Jesus in life-on-life -life relationships, we are synchronized with the Spirit. And when we are synchronized with the Spirit, what we're doing is we're inviting other people to be synchronized. Relationship synchronizes us with God's heart. And when we are synchronized with God's heart, what we're doing is we're walking in a way that helps begin to help others synchronize with God's heart. They're not synchronizing with us. They're being synchronized to God's heart. Now, the beauty of that is if we're all synchronized with God's heart, what happens to us? Unity. Like we can be in unity. We can be dramatically different. But if we're synchronized to God's heart, unity happens. The idea is that we walk with people, we encounter people moment to moment, we help synchronize them to Jesus. I want to I play a video for you that will, will, will give this a little bit of a, a twist or a push for our understanding, and then we'll do just a little bit of unpacking, just a little, because it'll be obvious. But I want you to watch this for just a second, and, and I want you to pay particular close attention, I want you to pay close attention or particular attention, I'm going to take a sip of tea during the break. <laughs> So that I get back on track. No, seriously. 
pay particular attention to what happens to the metronomes and where they are when it happens. Go ahead. You hear it? I mean, how do you miss it? I mean, look at the visual picture we have. When we are rooted to the ways of this world, we are rooted to the world in a way that we think we're grounded. There is chaos. There is disorder. We do not walk in step with one another. And this is not about your unique design. It's not about your unique take on life or your unique experiences because you could have taken each one of those metronomes, painted one blue and one purple, one pink, one green. It's like, it doesn't matter. They could have been shaped slightly different, but as long as they had that similar consistency of how they were moving, they were all unique. But once they were taken from the rooting on the world, the, the thing that kept them from being able to walk in sync with each other and they were put on a platform where they could sense that vibration, they could move. And I know I'm talking about metronomes as if they're alive and if they're thinking, but, but this is what's happening. This is what scientists have said. You know, when they're on this platform, there's these subtle nudges that happen within the platform. If the metronome way on the right wasn't even talking to the metronome way on the left, but they're close enough in proximity that the nudges start to happen and then they eventually synchronize. Do you know that that's built into the very nature of our DNA? It's built into creation that way. How do I know that? Look at fireflies on a summer's night. Have you ever seen them where they go from random, 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 and all of a sudden it's like waves? And you'll see them like across, like we've seen this driving back from Lancaster. You know, sometimes in the, in the summer, late summer, you'll, we're driving back and there's all the cornfields and the fireflies are out there. And, and, and initially it's this scatter, scatter, scatter. But every now and then you'll come up and you'll just see these waves. It's like the lights are, it's almost like you're on a runway for a plane coming in for a landing. And you just, it's like, they studied that, and they were like, it's the same thing. There's these subtle vibrations. There's these subtle nudges that they start to become into sync. You know what happens with your heartbeat. When your heart is within three feet of another person's heart, your heartbeats begin to synchronize. 
built us that way. He built us that way. And if, if we see the effects of that in the natural, and we don't understand why it's there, we totally misuse it. We totally misunderstand it. God's like, no, no, no. You know, if, I, if, my, if I'm near my wife and our hearts are in sync, the beat, I still have my own mind. I still have my own creativity. I don't stop being me. But now I've been synchronized to something greater than myself. That's what God does with us. Through the power of his spirit, he will draw us together. There have been bridges that just by the step of people walking on a bridge, the bridge gets ready to collapse because it starts to synchronize to a certain frequency. It's in the very fabric of all creation for us to synchronize. But when we try to synchronize, when we try to live according to the principles of this world, and we are not tuned in to that greater, greater wisdom of God that he's revealed, we get all these little independent synchronicities, if you will, all these little agendas that we get wrapped around. And we think, we think because we've come with other people that it's like, oh, it's this greatest thing, and I've got all these friends, and da, da, da. but it's just this little circle. It's synchronized around a principle, but it's out of sync with the rest of reality. And if we step up to that platform, that higher understanding, that revelation that God wants us to understand, then all of a sudden, God begins to nudge us. God begins to move us. It all starts with what Paul starts with. I need to come and expect not myself, to be persuasive. I need to come to know nothing but Christ crucified. And that as I put myself aside, if I put my expectations and my agenda aside when I'm meeting with somebody or I'm in relationship with somebody, I can hear the heart of God more clearly than my own, maybe more clearly than theirs. And I trust God to provide the nudge. It's not, I'm not going in to give the nudge. I mean, let's be honest. Some people, if we're, if, if, if we're not truly tuned into Christ being crucified in us, we're not truly saying, hey, put me aside, God, what you want, not what I want. We shove, right? We take that and we, we, like, we throw them on the platform and then we try to like grab the metronome and like try to get them in there. No. Bob, that's as close to a two-step as I'm getting this morning. He asked me to do a two-step. We don't shove, but in relationship. It's the relationship with God that we're synchronized with that allows us to have relationship with other people that then he does the synchronizing. This goes all the way back to what we said in week one. There's a lot we can do, but it's God who provides the growth. It's the same here. It's God who brings us into sync with the wisdom and the knowledge and all the while, as we walk together, as the Spirit of God is nudging our hearts, we move beyond radical adaptability. We move beyond this idea of just sort of getting things in order and having our agendas and having our things that we try to accomplish here in the world. We tune fully into what God is doing and we're transformed. 
There was a point in my life, and some of you, some of you may or may not believe this. For those of you who you know know me more recently and don't know me uh, before, but there was a point in my life in high school uh, and up through uh, late high school where you know it sort of came out of middle school and came out of that whole rebellious you know teenage tunnel of chaos thing. Where you know the F word was every other word in a sentence for me, and it was like how how many times? I mean, you see this still today. You know, how many times can you insert the F word into every sentence so that you sound a little bit older, a little bit more mature, a little bit more, you know, just you want to sound bigger, you want to sound like you're rough and gruff, you know? So you just throw a bunch of F bombs in, you know, and it's like really. But when I encountered Jesus, that didn't go away right away. There was still that tendency in me because I had practiced it for so long. And then one day I read the passage that said, you know, let no, um, no, let no cursing or unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Nobody walked up to me and said, you know what? If you, if you think you're a Christian, you really should stop cussing. <laughs> like Nobody did that to me. But the Spirit of God... When I read that passage and I became aware of that passage, it was like, you know, there are much more meaningful ways to say stuff. The English language is massive. And if I run out of English words, I can tap into Korean, I can tap into Spanish. Like, I can learn other languages if I don't have a way to express it. Why on earth do I feel like I have to express this emotion with a cuss word? Nobody did that to me. It was simply me being synchronized with the heart of God. It wasn't somebody saying, well, you, if you cuss, you're not a Christian. You haven't been changed. You know, there's no legalism to it at all. It was a transformation of my heart. And, and once that hit, it was done. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't, you know, like if you cuss, you're going to hell. Like, I'm not saying that. Please don't hear that. What I'm saying is that transformation happened because the Spirit of God just prompted me, and it was like, ooh, that's a nudge. Yeah transform the way I see things. For some, it's drugs. For some, it's, it's unhealthy relationships. For some, it's filling a void with relationships, something that was broken in family or broken by an experience, and you're trying to fill that void with all these other relationships, and, and it just takes a nudge. The Spirit going, it's okay. God loves you. Like God can fill that way more than the stuff you're trying to fill it with. So you have a picture this morning. You have a challenge this morning. The call of the gospel is come and die so that you may live. Not come and live your best life now. It's come and die so that you might live. Come and be concerned about the crucifixion of Christ to be aligned with that, that yourself is laid down so that God can raise you up to display Him, the goodness of God, the love of God, the nudges that God gives all of us to get us in sync with what is truly good and a greater good than this world can ever comprehend. And here's the final piece. When we tap into that, not only are we equipped to be in relationship with one another and to help, like we're learning how to be a disciple out of that and help others be a disciple. But when we tap into that and we begin to understand it, we go, wow, 
there is a good that will impact every, everything that I see in this world that is broken, that is out of step, that is out of sync, that is misaligned, it's in chaos, it's in disorder, it's in argument, it's in fighting, it's in dissolution. Every single thing, there is a greater good that God sees that will draw that in step with him. So this isn't like, when Paul says we synchronize spiritual things with spiritual things, that's, that's essential. That doesn't mean it stays only in the spiritual. If it did, there wouldn't be transformation. So anything that you're looking at in this world and you think, man, you know, we need to, we need to fix this or we need to be on this or whatever, please step back and say, God, what are you doing? How do I get in step with you? How do I be like Paul? And concern myself only with being crucified with Christ so that as I walk with you, those things that you have put in my heart that I am passionate about, that do need to change, I can walk differently. And then allow you to draw others to it. Make no mistake, God's shifts, God's transformation will change the fabric of this reality. That's not our goal. If we have a relationship with him just to try and change the nature of the surroundings and the circumstances we have, then we're always going to be fixated on looking at the surroundings and the circumstances that we have. He can take care of that, just like he provides the growth, just like he provides the transformation and the power, the dynamite to... One thing is our concern, to walk in step with him. And trust him to help us walk in step with him together. Let's pray. Lord, again, forgive us. When we look at the world and we look at all the things that we hit on a daily basis, and we do, we do the, I got to change it, I got to do something, I got to say something, I got to, or we do the, I'm going to run and hide, and I can't do it, and I'm not big enough. And I'm, Whatever reaction we have, God, forgive us that we don't look to you in that moment. Help us to begin to look to you in that moment, and like Paul did, crucify my flesh. Help me to get out of the way. And see what you're doing so clearly and join you in it. And you may put me in uncomfortable situations. You may put us in comfortable, uncomfortable situations. God, we get that, and that scares us. We can identify with Paul saying, I come with fear and trembling. But it's different when we know we're walking in your power. We know you're, we're walking in something you have already prepared still scary, but we get to see you work. I ask that this morning, Father, for everybody here, everybody online, anybody who hears this message, that Lord, in the name of Jesus, you would begin to empower us by your Holy Spirit. You would help us hear your heartbeat in every moment, that as we commit ourselves to focus on you, that we would align our flesh, our expectations, our desires, all of those things. We would align those to the cross. We would align those to the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, so that when we live on a daily basis, we live in the life of Jesus. We walk in step with Jesus. 
And as your heartbeat rings out, we are drawn together in you. And the things you're already doing become more and more visible. May it be true in our day, again, that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, the followers of Jesus, walking in step with you, moving, living, having our being in the kingdom that you've called us to be citizens of. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.